Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> it's really good to uh, be with you guys this morning. Um, I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable, but uh, I was uh, just sitting in my office and preparing this morning and worshiping and stuff like that, and I just envisioned all of you coming to church and giving so many of you just big hugs today. So if I come up and give you a bigger, longer hug than normal today, uh, that, that's why. Uh, I love you guys. Um, now I feel uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> thank you, Terry. <laughs> um, <clears throat> today uh, we are going to be in... Um, I want to just give just a quick uh, promo real quick. Um, I know I mentioned this in the last uh, sermon that I did, but me and Maritza have been, and this just seems just very relevant um, given what's going on in the world right now, but me and Maritza have been reading a book called um, Women Who Risk, and it's a book about how the Lord is coming and he is uh, meeting uh, women uh, and, 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 some, and men in this book, but it particularly focuses on women um, in like very... Uh, militantly Muslim environments. Uh, and a lot of the stories actually come out of a lot of the conflict that was happening back in like 2016, 2017, and all that with ISIS. Um, and it is, it is powerful. Um, and a lot of the stories actually are, are about women who um, are in refugee camps in Gaza. Um, and so it's just, if you want to be encouraged right now in the midst of just all of this very <laughs> discouraging news that's going on about that part of the world. Uh, I, really, I don't do this very often, but I really encourage you to pick up that book. It's called Women Who Risk. Uh, the subtitle, I think, is uh, Secret Agents uh, for Jesus in the Muslim World. That's just super cool. Um, so go pick up that book and be encouraged. Um, uh, okay, that was it. Um, sermon time. I'm just going to pray um, one more time. Lord Jesus, we love you. I pray that you would be glorified. Um, there's treasure in your word that we're about to open up this morning. I pray that you would give us eyes to see it. I pray that you would open up our eyes so that we may behold wonderful things in your law. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me this morning. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Um, I got a question for you. Uh, how many of you guys like chicken nuggets? Okay, good. This, there's going to be a lot of nuggets today, okay, <laughs> in this sermon. Uh, essentially, just to give you a preview of what we're talking about, uh, you can go ahead and flip to Leviticus 19 because that's where we'll be. Um, what we're looking at today is quintessential Leviticus, all right? It's uh, I use that word to show you that I went to college, uh, but uh, this is classic Leviticus, okay? This is like, don't do this, do this, don't do that, do this, and just the whole entire thing is that. Um, and in this chapter, there's actually just no rhyme or reason either. There's no, like, clear structure. Like, the bio, it's going to talk about, um, here it's going to be talking about, you know, uh, don't mix this kind of seed in your field, uh, and then right here it's going to talk about uh, loving your neighbor. And then it goes back to um, just 
and it just goes back and forth between random things like that, and it just seems like there's no clear order. And so um, I tried to rack my brain to figure out some kind of way to organize it, but we're just going to read through it, and we're going to be over here, and then we're going to be over here, and then we're going to be over here. And I just hope that everybody can get something out of it. Uh, there's a little bit of something for everybody, because um, we're going to cover a wide range of things this morning in Leviticus 19. So if you would, uh, flip to Leviticus 19. Um, I'm just going to say one, one word about the context. Um, you know, context always matters uh, whenever we read the Bible, but I think it's especially so as we're getting into this chapter this morning. Um, and the context is specifically, um, here's this slide that you've seen several times. That got messed up. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good thing you've seen it before. I'm sure you memorized it uh, because it's all messed up right now. But um, where we're at right now is um, we've gone through uh, chapters 1 through uh, 18, and we had laws about sacrifices and laws about, what, uh, pu- laws about purity and things you don't eat and stuff like that, laws about defiling mold and all that good stuff. Um, and then Terry got us to the climax of the Pentateuch, which was the Day of Atonement. And this is very important to know that we're coming after the Day of Atonement. Uh, because, and just to remind you, uh, the Day of Atonement was the day where they would take this, this, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they would slaughter the sheep for the covering of Israel's sins, and they would take the, the, the scapegoat, as they called it, and the priest would lay his hand on the scapegoat, and he would confess all the sins of Israel over this goat, and then he would send it away into the wilderness. And this was supposed to be a sending away of the people's sins away from them. And this was God's taking away the sins of the people. And obviously this is a beautiful picture, an, an image of Jesus, right? Uh, of God putting all of our sins on, on Jesus. He was our sacrificial lamb. And so this is where we're at today, is we're right after that. Luke talked last week about the, the sexual laws, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of other laws concerning a lot of things in life. But something that's very important before I get to... Uh, any one you shall not passage, is you need to know that the you shall nots always come after atonement with God. What I mean by that is, if you notice, God doesn't really give any commands about sin. All this stuff before was about ritual purity and things like that, and if you were listening, well, that stuff was really not about sin. It was about ritual purity, and there's a difference between that. But What's important to know about this is before God gets into anything about sin, anything about what you can do wrong, he he first provides the sacrifice for the forgiveness of those sins. Isn't that amazing? This is how God works. See, uh, the law has always been, uh, a lot of times in Christianity, been put up against the gospel. But if you look, you find the gospel in even the hardest places to find it, in the book of Leviticus. It's here. See, the books of the New Testament are, are written like this. Paul, if you read the book of Romans, the whole entire first 12 chapters are given to, this is what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And then chapter 12 starts off with, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God's done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is how you live in response to what God has done. And this is so important to understand whenever you're about to read what we're going to read today, is the people were not coming into this in a mentality of, oh, we better okay, God's about to tell us what to do now. We better get this right or else we're going to get in trouble or he's going to kill us or we're going to get cut off from God. God, before he's even given one you shall not, he has already provided the way for the people to be made clean. He's already provided a way 
for them to be forgiven before he's even told them what not to do. This is how God operates. And you cannot get these, you cannot get these mixed up. Because if you put the you shall nots before forgiveness, before sacrifice, before atonement, you're going to think that it's up to you, and you're going to live in fear in your relationship with God. But if you get atonement before the you shall nots, you're going to be a free person. And if you really want to please God, you're going to be a person who says, you know what, God has told me all these things that I need to do, and I'm going to do my best because I love him, but I'm safe. I'm good. I'm free to mess up. It's not a license to sin. It's not a a license to say, you know, we can do whatever we want. But we can say, I'm going to try to please God, and I may mess up, but he has already taken care of it. He's already made a way for me to be right with him again if I mess up. That's God, folks. That's the gospel in Leviticus already. So it's so important to recognize what comes right before this, okay? So that's the gospel. Um, Usually it comes at the end of a sermon, but today we got it at the beginning. So let's get into Leviticus 19. So it says, uh, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am Yahweh your God. See, uh, this is what I'm talking about, right? God says he's calling us to be holy, and right off the bat, he says, uh, he starts off with, you shall honor your father and mother. And then right after that, he gets into Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath and not making idols or anything like that. And I think it's important to note and to stop right here and just immediately point out that maybe the organization of this chapter is not so random. Maybe it's very purposefully intertwined that honoring your father and mother goes hand in hand with staying away from idols and keeping the Sabbath and worshiping God in the proper way. You know, uh, I'm not opposed to, um, how do you say it? Um, I lost the word. It's a smart word. Uh, Okay, Uh, compartmentalizing your life, right? Like um, these days you can make certain focuses, you know, on your phone and you can set a focus for work where only people can get a hold of you at work and uh, you can set a home focus where uh, everybody but work people can get a hold of you. And uh, I think it's sometimes helpful to compartmentalize our lives um, in that way. Uh, the problem is, is whenever we compartmentalize our lives and say, this is, this is God, this is my church life, this is, this is where God, um, you know, I, I focus on God and God's a big part of this. And then here is my work and my family. And I think God makes, makes it clear right off the bat that that is not how we are to compartmentalize our life. There's not God over here and work right here and my family right here and my hobbies right here. It's here's my family, here's my work, here's my hobbies, here's my worship, and God is in every bit of it. If there's one thing you can learn from Leviticus 19 and just from the whole book of Leviticus is that holiness and imitating God, being like him, reaches into every single area of your life. Every single sphere of your life, God has, God has his hand in. There's nothing that's off limits to him. He wants to be in all of it. And so if you're a person who has thought that, well, you know what, like, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do my God thing and stuff like that, but over the, this over, Sunday over here, this is God, but, you know, Saturday, Friday night, like, this is, this is my thing. Or Monday through Friday, this is, this is my thing. God has Sunday. God has Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. God has church and God has your home. And God has your work, and God wants to be in every single piece of it. 
And he calls us to be like him in every area of our lives. Uh, I really love uh, this next command. Um, I'm going to skip through uh, verses 5 through 8 and pick up in verse 9. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall, you guard, neither, sorry, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am Yahweh, your God. So um, what we have here is essentially, if you can, if you can picture it in your mind, um, I was going to try to draw a picture and put it up there, but it didn't look very good, so I didn't do that. But if you can picture it in your mind, um, if you got a picture like a square field um, of, of, of a crop, and what God said to do for uh, the Israelites is, you're supposed to take your crop, and when you harvest it, I want you to uh, go in and harvest, take up all the crops, all the corn, all the wheat, whatever they had, and they would take it, and, but they were supposed to stop. So say, like, if, if this is your field, you're supposed to go all the way up to here and harvest it, but then you're supposed to leave this part. You're supposed to leave the edge. And this edge of your field was supposed to be left for the foreigner and for the poor person. God said, you're supposed to leave that for them. He said, you are not supposed, I love the way that it phrases this, you are not supposed to strip your field bare. You're not supposed to, what he's saying is, everything that is yours is not yours. I know that uh, it's, it's, a lot of people speak in terms of like, well, nothing is mine, like everything is borrowed, like everybody, everything that we have is God's, and I think that's true, um, but uh, that's almost sometimes, I think, almost unhelpful because it, God does give us things. It is, there is so much that he gives to us for us to enjoy, uh, but there, not everything that God gives you is for you. There's supposed to be something that you're giving away. Everybody is called to give. Everybody is called to not take everything for yourself, no matter how much you have. Um, and I think that this is such a, I think this image and this idea of gleaning and not stripping your field bare and leaving that section is actually uh, super relevant and instructive for us. Um, you see, what they were supposed to do is they were at the very front end, like before they harvest, before they go and take in, even gather in their crops, God said, don't even take it all in for yourself. Like, don't take it all in and then portion it out like this is going to be some for the poor people, it's going to be some for me. He's like, just leave it there. Don't even take it in. Right at the outset, don't even take it. And I think there's, there's a good analogy for this. I think everybody can relate to this. What is the best bite of a cheeseburger? Some would say the first. I think it's the last, okay? You see, this is a problem in my marriage because Maritza, she doesn't even try to do this. She just has like a sixth sense. She could be in another room, and I'll be doing some work on a cheeseburger, and I don't know if you guys do this, but like I try to keep the meat-to-bun ratio just right and like try each bite, and it's really all just working towards that last bite. Like, have you ever got to the end of your cheeseburger and it's all bun and there's no meat left? It's like, it's horrible. And so uh, you're working through this cheeseburger to where this last bite, you even like take a few nibbles before the last bite to make sure that it's like just the perfect size, you know? And so I get down, I do all of that work and I get down to the last bite and Maritza will show up out of nowhere like Batman and I'll be over my shoulder and be like, can I have a bite? And I will say, no! Of course you can't have a bite. A bite. This is my last bite. 
And so, of course, you can't have my last bite. If you would have come at any other point in this meal, I would have given you a bite of my burger. I would have given you two bites of my burger, but you cannot have the last bite. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, you cannot have the last bite, okay? Uh, and I think that that's kind of what's going on here is it's a lot easier to give somebody your first bite than it is to give somebody your last bite. And I think God is, God, here's the thing, is God is not trying to make it as hard as possible for us to be holy, okay? He's trying to actually make it easier for us to be like him. And in this case, he's trying to make it easier actually for us to be generous. I think he knows that it's a lot easier to be generous whenever you're first bringing in all of your crops, you're first, you're getting, you're, you're just getting your paycheck. It's a lot easier to be generous at the beginning before you've paid all the bills, before you've bought groceries, before you went out to eat, before you put a little bit into retirement, before you put some into the college fund, before you put some into the vacation fund, and you've done all the things, and then at the end of the month, some, and, and you want to be generous, but you're like, I, I just don't have any money to be generous. Well, I would say maybe you do. You're just trying to give, you're just trying to give, make yourself give up the last bite, and that's a lot harder. Um, I think that I really, I think, uh, and so I think this is really instructive for us. I think it's, it's, it's really helpful to think about it in terms of, you know, if you want to be more generous, um, maybe try giving uh, the first bite. I think um, a really good way to do this is when, you know, we talked about the tithe and the first fruit, and I think Terry's going to talk about that a little bit more in a few weeks, but they were called to give up the very first of what they made to the Lord. But I think it's also helpful if we're trying to be generous to set aside whenever we get our paycheck in, uh, before we do anything else, before we figure out how much we're going to put to retirement, before we're going to figure out how much we're going to spend on going out to eat or whatever it is that week, uh, that month, uh, set aside money to give first. Just sock it away and say, this money's God's. You know, I maybe don't, I maybe don't have a need that I'm going to give it to you right now, but I'm going to set aside this money, and then the next time that there's a need that comes up in the church, somebody needs a car, the next time that somebody... Uh, on the street maybe, ask me for money and I want to help, like, it's going to be there. And it's not going to hurt as much because I have already set it aside to, um, to be used for giving. Um, so, gleaning. Don't, don't strip your fields bare, people. Um, everything we have is not our own. <clears throat> Thank you, Charles. Um, picking up in verse 11, and, and this nugget is connected to the last one. It says, you shall not steal. It says, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. I think it's interesting that you shall not steal comes right after this talk about generosity and leaving food uh, for the poor and for the foreigner. It's not an accident, I don't think. Uh, you know what's, I don't know if you've ever stopped and, and asked yourself this question, but why does, why does God say not to steal? Well, why does God say not to murder? Well, I think whenever we're young, whenever we're kids, and our parents have rules and stuff like that, we think, oh, well, you know, they just have all these rules that they want us to follow and stuff like that. We don't really think about so much the why, but when God says no to something, it's because he's very much in favor of the opposite of that thing. God says don't murder because he is the author of life and the sustainer of life, and he loves life. Well, the reason that God says don't steal is not just because stealing is bad, stealing is bad, but it's because he made you for the opposite. He says don't steal 
because he wants you to give. It's really hard to give when you're stealing, or it's, it's probably bad if you're giving something that you stole. Um, I love Ephesians 4.28. It's, it illustrates this. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Stop stealing. It's one of the commandments. But then he goes on and he says, but you must work. Doing something useful with your own hands. Why? Not just so that you're not stealing anymore, but he says, so that they may have something to share with those who are in need. God wired it in you. It's part of your, you being in the image of God. It's part of you being holy as God is holy, imitating God. Is we are called to be generous and we're called to give. And something is deeply broken in us whenever it's completely switched to where we're not giving, but we're taking from people. And something's still not as broken, but pretty broken in us when we just don't give. When we just work with our hands and we take everything for ourselves. God has made us like him. He's called us not to steal or to keep everything to, for, to ourselves and strip our fields bare. He's called us to give. He's called us to share. <clears throat> Verse 13 says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all the night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall revere your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in, sorry, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. The NIV says, you shall not do anything that endangers the life of your neighbor. Uh, I am Yahweh. <clears throat> this stuff, I think, is all pretty obvious. Uh, I think that most of us, I think most humans, know that this stuff is wrong. We know that we should be just. Uh, I hope that people know that you shouldn't trip blind people, <laughs> right? I think most of us know these things, right? Um, but Luke isn't here today, and so in his honor, I have uh, a Dallas Willard quote. He says, No one wishes to do evil for its own sake. We just find it unfortunately necessary. The thing is, I think most of us know that you're not supposed to lie. I think most of us know that you're not supposed to steal. I think most of us know that you're not supposed to take advantage of people. The problem is we just find it unfortunately necessary. I don't want to lie on my taxes, but things are tight. I know, you know, probably... You know, shouldn't be taking advantage of people, but, you know, I'm, I'm really desperate right now. Um, you can justify uh, just about anything um, when you speak of your own desperation. I think, of course, there's, there, I think, and I'm not going to address this so much, that, you know, a lot of people do, a lot of people do, do evil and do bad things, do things that are wrong because they're just trying to, you know, uh, please themselves. They're trying to get rich. They're trying to get ahead. It's not because they're desperate or in need. They're doing things because they just are selfish, and, and we do this. Um, but I think that there's this whole other category, and that's what Dallas Willard is talking about, is we're not, there's just things that we, we justify, and there's things that we do, and there's evil, and we wrong people, and we take advantage of people, and we lie to people, and we're dishonest, and we do it because we feel like there's no other way. 
And it may truly be that we are actually desperate. And if we do tell the truth about this thing that we did, something bad is going to happen to us. If we're honest about this money situation, then we're going to have to go bankrupt. And we're faced with these situations, and we see two options. And we see, you know what, I can do the right thing, and, I am, uh, and I'm going to be in trouble. I can do the right thing, and, and something bad is going to happen to me. Or I can just tell this little lie one time, this just one time, and, uh, and the problem will go away. And I'll try to do better next time. And we see those as the only two options. <clears throat> I want to... Uh, this is, one of, this is one of my favorite books. I just read this. Um, every book that I read about awesome people, they're always women. I don't know if men do anything cool ever, but they're not writing books about it. Uh, so uh, this book is Cory Ten Boom. I don't know. I'm sure you've, you've heard of her. The book's called The Hiding Place, but it's written uh, during the Holocaust, and Cory Ten Boom and her family were hiding Jews. And these people were amazing people. Like, they were amazing Christians. Like, her mom, like, had, like, some horrible disease and very, uh, just uh, debilitating, and, but she would, like, all the time, like, go out and, like, feed the poor and the homeless and stuff like that, and uh, her just, I, I won't go into all of it, but one of their big things was this family really, really tried to tell the truth, and there were a couple of them especially that were, uh, you know, just avid, avid truth, very convicted about telling the truth, uh, and so, to the point where, like I said, they were hiding Jews. Uh, there was one story where uh, they had a sister named Nolly, and she was the avid truth teller. And she would, uh, they were hiding Jews in their house. And one day there were soldiers that were walking up. And uh, they, they walked up and they said, do you have, they bust in the room and uh, they had plans for this. And so they had the kitchen table right here. And uh, underneath they had like pulled up the, the, the wood, the, the flooring, and they had a little place for some of the, the men to hide, their, their brothers to hide. Uh, and so two of them, they saw the soldiers coming, and so they, they got under the table, got under the, the floor, and they were hiding in there. And uh, the soldiers came in, and they said, uh, you know, they started looking around, and they walked up, and they said, you know, like, where are all the men? Like, where? And they walked up to uh, Nolly's daughter, who's been taught her whole entire life that you tell the truth no matter what. And they walk up to her and they say, uh, where are your brothers? And she's, uh, she said, do you have any brothers? And then she said, yeah, I got three. And they're like, where are they? And they said, well, one of them's in college. And everybody at the table knows that they have this truth-telling problem, okay? And so they know that they don't lie ever. And so they're sitting there just sweating and they're like, okay, surely they know that you can lie right now. Like, God is going to be okay if you lie to hide some Jews from going to an extermination camp, right? And so they're sitting there, and they go, where are the other two brothers? And she goes, they're under the table. And everybody goes, like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? And, and uh, the, um, the soldiers, they go, and, and she starts laughing, and they go, stop lying to us! And they don't even look under the table. <laughs> and so she told the truth, um, and somehow <laughs> they got, got away with it. Um, What's even more amazing than that is a few weeks later, uh, the soldiers came back, and this time uh, they were more direct, um, and they said, uh, where are the Jews? Do you have Jews in your house? Where are they? And the mom took them to the girl and, and showed them where she was, and sure enough, they took her to prison, they took her to jail, um, and they took... Uh, the girl, her name was Annalise, that she was hiding, 
and they took her to a staging area to where she was going to be sent off to Germany to an ex extermination camp. And Corey writes the story, and she's like, how could you have done, she said, like, your, your rigid, rigidity, rigidness, I don't know, your, your, your truth-telling got this person killed. And she, she was able to visit her in jail. They're having this conversation. And um, this is what Nolly said. Um, she said, No ill will happen to Annalise. God will not let them take her to Germany. He will not let her suffer because I obeyed him. I read that, and I was still mad at her. <laughs> and I'm sure Corey was as well. And so she left the jail, and... Um, and it says, <clears throat> and the, the woman was held, being held in like a, a, they were holding the Jews in like a theater that was like the staging area. And six days later, she got a phone call. And this is what the person said. They said, the Jewish theater in Amsterdam was broken into last night. Forty Jews were rescued. One of them, a young woman, was most insistent to not, that Nolly would know Annalise is free. <clears throat> And just a couple weeks later, uh, Nolly was, uh, you know, they sent those people to extermination camps too, the people who helped hide the Jews. Nolly was medically discharged uh, for low blood pressure. And she went home. You see, the problem is that a lot of us, whenever we think about doing right and wrong, we think about, you know, oh, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't, you know, do wrong to other people, but it's unfortunately necessary. We see only two options, but with God, there is always a third option. There is a third option with God. And that is to pray, and that is to obey and that is to trust. I'm not going to say that every time God comes through in the way that he did for Nolly and Annalise, but I think that if we would pray and that we would trust, we'd see that kind of stuff a lot more often. You know, it's funny, uh, their dad, they, got, they all eventually got shipped off to the concentration camps, and the dad, he walked up to the desk, and uh, the guy said to him, he was really old, and the guy said, you know what, like, old-timer, you're free to go. You know what? Just promise me that you'll go home and you won't make any more trouble and, you know, you're free to go. And he looked him in the eyes and he said, I will help the very next person who comes to my door. And he went to the concentration camp and he died. And that's as beautiful as a story as the first one. But what I'm saying is, is that we are to trust God no matter what the outcome. We are to do what's right no matter what. And I'm, I'm get, you know, Rahab, you know, she hid the spies, and she lied about it, and she was honored, and it was all good, and stuff like that, and so there are times whenever we, you know, uh, this is, these are extreme examples, but most of the time we're not lying to save people from death, okay? Most of the time we're lying to save some money. We are called to be holy as God is holy, and God takes care of us whenever we choose to obey, even whenever it looks like it's going to cost us a lot. I got just a, um, a couple more things. Uh, a couple more things I want to share. Um, uh, 
Actually, you know what? I won't. Five minutes over. Um, this will be the shortest sermon that I've ever given. Um, but partially because Steve is supposed to actually preach on this text again uh, in a couple weeks. So, Steve, I'm going to leave a lot for you to share. Um, I feel like that's it for me today. Um, the Lord bless all of you. Um, my prayer is that we can be confident that we are uh, free to obey. That we are free to keep the Lord's commands. And that He's going to take care of us, whether it ends well for us or not. Um, bless you.